welcome to Standing in the Gap. I'm your host preacher, Brandon Harrell. Standing in the Gap is a weekly audio Bible study dedicated to the verse-by-verse exposition of the KJV Scriptures. It is my prayer that through these studies, the lost will be saved, the believer edified, and most of all, that the Lord Jesus Christ will be magnified and honored through the proclamation of His Word. For correspondence information, please stay tuned until the end of the broadcast. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this week's Standing in the Gap. All right, this is Preacher Brandon. After a brief hiatus for the holidays, we're back in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Go with me again to chapter 4, and let's read verses 1 through 11. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him and behold, Angels came and ministered unto him. This is our 18th week in this particular text. Maybe our last, not sure yet. But what great lessons we've drawn from the temptation of our Lord. Truly, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And there can be no doubt that God has with the temptation in our lives made a way of escape for us. Jesus is our example of how to appropriate the resources we've been given in order to overcome temptation. Along those lines, we've been examining the arsenal or the weapons Jesus used. Though he be God, he did not engage in this warfare with any means that are not available to you and I. First, we found that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we've been noticing that he was fortified with the Holy Scriptures. The Word of God is our only offensive weapon. It is called the sword. Jesus uses it masterfully in our text. This he did in order that we may learn to do the same. I told you that there were two important aspects of wielding this sword of the Spirit. First, the practicality with which the Scriptures must be applied. I endeavor to impress upon you that the Bible is not merely a theological book, but it is a practical book. 
It's our handbook for life. It must be understood and may be applied in our daily walk. The second important aspect of wielding the sword of the Spirit is the proficiency with which the Scriptures must be administered. I told you that though it is necessary to put the Scriptures to practical use in our lives, we must use them properly and reverently. Jesus is our example in this as he does so in his temptation. I would remind you of a quote from John Trapp that I referred to previously. He wrote, Christ rejects not the Holy Scriptures, although perversely alleged and abused by Satan, but openeth them by laying one place to another. He further states, there is here an illustration of two important rules of interpretation, but a figurative expression must not be so understood as to bring it in conflict with unfigurative passages, and that an unlimited promise or statement must not be applied to cases forbidden by other teachings of Scripture. Christ did not only use the Scripture, but he used it properly, both rightly dividing it and skillfully applying it to the case. We must always do the same. We've already seen Christ's use of Scripture in response to Satan's first two attacks, one in the area of the lust of the flesh and the other in the area of the pride of life. Today, we'll look at the third instance of Jesus' use of the sword in this battle uh, with Satan in the area of temptation. Here, the lust of the eyes are in view, beginning in verse 8. Here the devil showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. That is the bait. Verse 9 is the hook. It says, And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. This is the continual tactic of Satan. Once we see what he perceives us to have a desire for, he then entices with a means whereby we may attain it. There they were, the kingdoms of this world in all of their glory. What a splendid sight it must have been. Yet hidden from sight were, not, uh, were the not-so-glorious aspects of those kingdoms. Satan never shows the ugly. He always shows the glory. However, Christ, as it is stated in John chapter 2, knew what was in man and by extension what was in those kingdoms. We too may know unless we choose to be willingly ignorant. Then Jesus is assured that he can have these things for his very own. Again, I would remind you that he already had this assurance and from a more reliable source, his father. But that required a cross. This was a much easier method of attaining these kingdoms. He simply had to fall down and worship Satan. It is difficult for me to wrap my mind around what Satan expected here. Did he really expect to be treated as God himself by the creator himself? It would appear so. As absurd as that is, it seems to be what he demanded. First, Satan, at least to some degree, as we look at this passage, had then and still has possession of the kingdoms of this world. 
I would remind you of the words of Ephesians six twelve. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan does at this present time have charge over this world, but what he doesn't know is that it is temporary. One day it'll be all taken from him destroyed and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. For this reason, we ought not to get too attached to this world, and we, like our Savior before us, definitely ought not to render worship to any other than God for the attaining of it. Another thought that comes to mind is that Satan is willing to sacrifice this world in order to obtain worship. How important, then, must worship be? This gives us a sense as to why it must only be rendered to God. That is precisely why Jesus chooses the passage that he does when he quotes scripture to Satan here. No created being is worthy of worship. God alone is worthy. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, which says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. In the context of Deuteronomy 6, God was instructing the children of Israel as to how they must conduct themselves in the promised land. The danger was the prosperity. In verses 10 to 12 we read, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You might say that Israel was about to obtain the kingdoms of this world, Yet they were not to render worship to any other but God. Three things were required in the verse cited by Jesus. First, they were to fear the Lord, which is to worship him. Secondly, they were to serve him, which is to render unto him their labor and efforts to do his work and to do his will. Thirdly, they were to swear by his name which is to regard him as true, as one who is aware of their affairs and to publicly identify with the God of heaven. This is what Satan was asking for. Notice a contrast, however. God said, I have given, now worship me. Satan says, worship me and then I will give. God commends his love before he demands worship. While Satan demands worship without any evidence of care for his worshipers, nor any proof that he can provide what they desire. So Jesus takes him to the Old Testament account and reminds him that God only is worthy of worship and that he himself ought to worship God. Even what Satan possessed was from God, yet he would give it away in order to be treated as God, even though he is by no stretch of the word or one's imagination a God himself in any way. Every mortal man 
has found himself on one or both sides of this situation. Some have desired so badly the kingdoms of this world that they were willing to fall down and worship even Satan himself, but often lesser creatures in order to obtain them. Others have sat in the seat of the devil and in an effort to receive worship have given all that they possessed. This oftentimes from beings that are merely their peers. Thankfully, you and I do not have to succumb to either of these sins. For we have the indwelling spirit for our enablement, the inspired scriptures for our empowerment, and the infallible savior for our example. The words of Jesus in verse 10 ring in my soul. Get thee hence, Satan. What an encouragement Jesus demonstrates in this verse. He demonstrates his own authority over the devil. He is Lord, even of Satan. It is proven by the response he received to this command in verse 11. Then the devil leaveth him. At any point, Jesus could have given this command and it would have been obeyed. I see again his condescension in undergoing such temptation for us. This continued because our Savior allowed it to continue for our benefit. In this and only this, we ought not to imitate our Lord. We are told in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Did you see it? We must resist the devil. The word means to set oneself against another. This we are to do steadfastly in the faith. There's no option for giving in. We must continually resist. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just as he fled from Jesus, he will flee from us when we resist him. It will, as Luke tells us in his parallel account, only be for a season. But then we'll simply stand in the power of the Holy Ghost with a heart full of the scriptures and resist steadfast in the faith once again. One more thing as I close, verse 11 ends with the words, Behold, angels came and ministered unto him. What comfort this affords to those of us who are in the battle with the flesh and the devil. There is comfort. There is a ministry unto us as we battle in this matter of temptation. With that, we're out of time. Thank you for listening. This has been Preacher Brandon. May God bless you as you stand in the gap. Thank you for listening to Standing in the Gap. It is my desire that today's episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to contact me, my email is bcharrell83 at protonmail.com. That's b-c-h-a-r-r-e-l-l-83 at protonmail.com. You can also reach me by phone at 828-777-4923. Tune in next time for Standing in the Gap.